to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome longtime colleague, Dr. Mitchell Tepper, author of Regain That Feeling, Secrets to Sexual Self-Discovery, brings a lifetime of firsthand experience with chronic conditions and disability to his work as a sexuality researcher, educator, coach, and self-proclaimed prophet of pleasure. He has a PhD in human sexuality education from the University of Pennsylvania and a master's in public health from Yale. Dr. Tepper worked on groundbreaking research on orgasm in women with spinal cord injuries with world-renowned orgasm researchers, Dr. Beverly Whipple and Barry Komisarek. How do, did I say that correctly? <laughs> it's, it's Barry Komisarek. Komisarek. <laughs> Sorry, Barry. Uh, over the last 15 years, Dr. Tepper has turned his attention to helping wounded veterans and their partners navigate intimate relationships. His new documentary, Love After War, Saving L- Love, Saving Lives, tells the stories of intimate partners who have won the battle for love. And you should all check out this documentary. It's really amazing. And I've been lucky to kind of see some of it happening from the early stages, uh, and it's it's really wonderful. So welcome, Mitchell Tepper. Thank you. And Nicoletta is, I think, uh, she's she's listed way up in the credits because she was one of our first contributors to our crowdfunding campaign. Uh, oh, thank, thank you. Okay, so for listeners out there, tell us about Love After War and what inspired you to dive into the long process of making this film. Wow. So in 2006, I was invited to speak to a conference called the Road to Recovery Conference for severely injured uh, military folks. And I went there and there were, you know, 120, 125 families, not just individuals. So Mm -hmm. they they brought uh, partners if someone were partnered or some people were in their 20s and not partnered and they had their parents. Uh, some people were with kids. Uh, and so these are the folks who are have the most severe injuries. You know, so they're the burns, the amputations, the spinal cord injuries, the brain injuries. Mm-hmm. And was able to present uh, several different educational offerings there. And people were so hungry for this information. And many people were years past uh, their injuries, and no one had talked to them about sex or sexuality at all. And I was just so moved by the experience, right, that I wanted to do more. And I spoke at this conference, you know, several years in a row. And at the time in 2006, I was working with Dr. David Satcher at Morehouse School of Medicine in the Center of Excellence for Sexual Health. And we had identified you know, disabilities as an area of focus. And when we looked at the statistics in 2006 and the headline said, failed intimate relationships are the leading cause of suicide in the military. And um, so we thought this was a good 
place to focus our efforts around sexuality and disability and specifically, you know, combat injured veterans. Now, suicide is a very complicated issue and there are many contributing factors, but year after year, the Department of Defense, and this is on the on the military side, the, the Veterans Administration is separate. People, you know, move from one agency to the other when they quote unquote separate from the active military but the department of defense keeps uh suicide event records every year and every year relationship problems is the highest contributor stressor you know so like over 40 percent, and like the next one might be financial issues or legal issues within the military but those are like under 20 percent. so relationship issues uh, can be a significant stressor and are every year. And so they are a significant contributor to to suicide. And so that's used as, a, as an example of how important this issue is, you know, because, you know, it could lead, lead people to want to take their lives. Uh, but there are well, and, also, how, and how vital sex and relationships are to a human well-being. Right. And, you know, so that's that's like the worst case scenario. But then you have people who are in partnered relationships or marriages who end up getting divorced. Uh, there's intimate partner violence, there's child abuse, you know, all stemming from some of these issues and, and stressors in relationships. And if you could, you know, tackle that issue and help people through this issue, it would be a significant contribution to ending, you know, this epidemic of we have of military and veteran suicides. Uh, and so that's that's how important relationships are. And when relationships are, are satisfactory and good, they buffer against the effects of PTSD and brain injury, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one person with PTSD in a in a toxic relationship, or you know, in a relationship where uh, you know the partner doesn't know how to respond to the person with PTSD, and it, it's a it becomes a negative spiral, that person's PTSD gets worse. Someone else could have PTSD, but be in a healthy relationship and some with somebody who's more supportive, more understanding. And that helps temper the, you know, the severity or the effects of the PTSD or the brain injury or whatever type of issues we're working with, you know, even if it's a physical disability. So yeah, that's what that's what brought me into this. I, I was so moved yeah. by the experience. Uh, I wanted to tell people stories, and I wanted to combat the narrative. Now, I don't know if that's the right word in combat the narrative, but if the narrative out there is failed intimate relationships are the leading cause of suicide, and the focus is always on the negative, I wanted to put out a positive message based on people I've met who are doing well irrespective of mental or physical disability. So I wanted to show positive examples of people doing well in spite of their just called disabilities, whether it be, you know, physical or psychological, mm-hmm. and show that there is positive hope. These aren't just like, oh, it'll get better. No, these yeah. people struggled and you see, you know, and you hear their struggles. Uh, but but the ones I've chose to document are ones uh, that are you know I say winning Doing the, the work battle to work through that yeah and 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 they're winning the battle. I don't think the battle is 
you know, I talk about, you know, they won the battle for love, but I think it's a constant process. And I mean, this seems like a really obvious question to me, given what is included in military service, but why is it so hard to return to intimate relationships after serving, after military service? Well, that's, um, in that that has nothing actually to do with uh, whether you have a physical or, or psychological diagnosed injury or disability. Um, you're going into a completely different environment, a different culture, right? And you're spending a lot of time there. You're spending time away from home, right? Disconnected, out of contact. Out of contact from here, but you have your battle buddies, and your but 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 your eyes are open to a whole different way of living. And sometimes, when people get back here, right, and they get back to the United States, and we're a very different culture, and uh, you know, people find it hard to connect. And when you're in a, a battle setting, a military setting, you're you're always on alert, right. Um, you, you know, and so your ability to kind of slow down your nervous system when you get home uh, is difficult. And so, and you've maybe seen things that people around you at home have not seen or experienced. So now you feel very different when you get home. And alone. Know? And alone and lonely, you know, yeah. because maybe you're looking around and then you know you're seeing that folks in in this country are taking things for granted mm. getting angry about silly things when you've seen like just the worst things and you've seen people who don't have what we have but doing well and you know in community you know in there and so it's there there's a big change and shift in your the way you view the world so you come back here and you could be questioning you know our values you could be come back here and feel disconnected because of what we talked about in the film a moral injury uh where you know you're feeling uh not good about either things you've done uh in in a combat situation or things that you witnessed that you felt like you should be able to uh intervene or maybe you should have done something you you saw something and maybe you could have acted and you didn't, right? Or and you so, were instructed to do something that felt wrong, but you had to do it to protect right. yourself. So now you come home and you feel like you have this dark spot on your soul, or you feel, you know, this 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 intense guilt or even shame, and so you don't feel worthy of connecting with people again. So that there's a the whole bunch of reasons, but from the simplest, anyone who's been in a live-in relationship and gone away for a few weeks and come home you know there's adjustments every time so yeah. so take that normal adjustment add longer times you know months at a time and add the intense situations that people are in uh yeah add potential ptsd or emotional stuff add potential right. physical things and then add the fact that like you said no one's really talking to returning uh active duty or just returning people who have been dismissed from duty no one's talking to them about uh emotional health necessarily unless they're really seeking it out no one's really talking about uh intimacy and sex and reconnecting with loved ones it's just uh yeah there's not a lot 
of yeah. support in that integration period. There, there is there are, there are you know programs that have yeah um, retreats where mm-hmm. the veterans connect with each other and they do have family retreats. But up until recently, and I think you know since after the 2006 conference and a couple other ones we did, we had a conference that we sponsored from Morehouse School of Medicine called Wounded Troops and Partners Supporting Intimate Relationships. And that was in 2008. And we had top folks from the Department of Defense, from the VA, uh, from uh, organizations like Suicide Prevention. We had people from the Hill, you know, politicians. We had nonprofits. We had RAND Corporation. And so over the years, uh, we've been, you know, increasing the dialogue around these issues, but it's such a slow process. So it, you know, it's not trickling down fast enough to, to people. And so, yeah. you know, they talk about now connection and connectedness, but more with community. Uh, but they're, you know, people are really afraid to dig into intimate connections between two people, especially yes. when involve sex. You know, yeah, that, I mean, this is an ignored topic across the board in a right. lot of healthcare spaces. So, of course, yeah, this is an additional no, one. It's, it, it's not specific to the VA or the military. It's yeah. across the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. One thing that I teach clients, and it sounds like it relates to this in terms of coming back from duty, is that when we're in kind of that fight or flight uh, survival mechanism, one of the first things to turn off in our brain is our like capacity for uh, social connectedness, like relational connections, um, and basically our, our level of, of empathy, of compassion, of, of whatever, because it's about survival, right? And that, that part of our brain kind of has to get turned off and we can get tunnel focused into taking care of ourselves, taking care of the people, you know, even sometimes the people around us, but not even in a social connected way, just as like an instinct mechanism. And so coming back from being in a long-term fight or flight situation, um, to come down from that and to get back to a space of grounded social connectedness when you've had to be in survival mode for so long, um, that to me is like the crux of it, of what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally, I mean, when we talk fight or flight, they're literally in a fight mode all the time, you know? Or, mm-hmm. So. And so you already listed uh, quite a few, but um, in watching the film, what are some of the main sexual, emotional, or relational issues that you saw with participants in the film or just, you know, for veterans returning from service? So, I mean, we have all, you know, topics covered, you know, because sexuality is just just so broad. So from, for for Manny, who was burned 85% of his body, body image was a big issue. And, you know, for um, Tyler, who was shot, four times and got one of the injuries as a spinal cord injury. He had other injuries too. Uh, but he had a couple relationships. Both of these guys were single. Uh, Tyler had a couple relationships proximal close to this time of injury and got dumped uh, because of the wheelchair and basically gave up on relationships. So both of these guys, uh, you know, so we have body image, but we also have a concept called sexual self-esteem and that's feeling lovable and capable of being, you know, a good, good partner. And uh, both of those guys, you know, their, their, their sexual self-esteem was diminished. So Manny took 15, 16 years before he got the nerve to ask anybody out 
because mm-hmm. who's going to love somebody like me? And Tyler was dumped a couple times and he figured why invest in a relationship, uh, you know, when it's going to end because of the chair. So he, he gave up and it really, he met one of his recreational therapists and she had spent, you know, began to have feelings with him over a year. And she said, she hinted to him five times, you know, that she was interested in relationship. And if on the fifth time he didn't catch on, she was going to forget it, but he did catch on and now they're married and they've had two kids since Mm, (laughs) one in the video, another since. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a good topic that you bring up that like, I, I, I think that self sexual self esteem is an ongoing thing, right? It's not right. something we just achieve, it's continuing to work on. And I don't think you need to love every part of yourself all the time right. to connect with others. But if you're so low in your sexual self esteem, that you can't even take in the potential interest from others. Um, right. Of course, you're always going to feel like it's never an option. Right. I mean, we, we touch on parenting, Tim, who's blind and you know how he feels like kind of like he can't fulfill that, that role completely, uh, to an incident of, uh, we'll call it the hogtie uh, incident where, where Tisambra, you know, uh, is the partner of Casey. They're both, uh, they're both veterans, but they're together. But early on in the relationship, she left her child with, with him and she came back and he was hogtied, you know, and how challenging that was between Mm -hmm. trying to keep her partner and her kids safe and, and that very, and he in reflection doing everything he can to make up for that moment when he was in a bad way. And, you know, he wasn't even diagnosed with PTSD at the time. He had been out for like 18 months of very violent deployment. And this was before we really recognized that. And so, Mm -hmm was in a very tough transition that 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 happened but from cat and aaron aaron was one in the film who he has what we call a complex blast injury he lost two limbs two legs above the knee uh he lost um, a number of digits on his hands a number of fingers has some brain injuries some some loss uh, of hearing but also genital injuries where he lost a testicle on a third right Mm -hmm. so in that relationship, you have Kat. Uh, they were only married 18 months at the time. So she was put in a position of being, quote unquote, a caregiver mm-hmm. uh, early on. And so they had those type of issues to deal with. So they were married, but only 18 months. So that created quite a challenge to that relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can imagine, you know, it's, I think we all in relationships, marriage, whatever, you know, there's that like, Till death do us part and sickness or in health, right. you know, and it's it's easy to agree to that when or easier to agree to that when you think, oh, it's not gonna be us. And then when it is you. Yeah, but in having in, to adjust to that. On the parenting issue, you know, Kat talks about how thankful she is that he's such a good parent because other people, you know, partners who came back can't leave their people they're, they're alone. So we, we show both sides of that, you know, in two different couples. And now, you know, since I talked about these two guys, one with cord injury, one with a blast injury with, you know, double amputee. So they had physical issues, different ones. One is paralysis. The other one is loss of limbs, uh, creating specific sexual problems. Well, they, they had problems with positioning, right? And they had problems, you know, with sexual dysfunction, 
although the testicular injury didn't result in necessarily an erectile dysfunction, it, it had hormonal issues. So he had to go on, you know, testosterone replacement. So he yeah. was able to, you know, get an erection, have intercourse, and and have a child um, on their own. No, no, they went through assistive. They they had to get some assistive reproductive technology too. They needed help there, but he was able to get an a, an erection. Whereas with the spinal cord injury, Tyler, a big issue was finding the right solution for erectile dysfunction in addition to the position. Okay. So. That's directly sexually related. Um, Casey, who his, you know, all of his disabilities are somewhat invisible, right? So PTSD was the biggest issue in the relationship or big issue. I, I, I don't know if I can measure them, but he also, you know, he was a jumper, you know, and, and you know, over the years accumulated a lot of orthopedic orthopedic injuries and neck and 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 coccyx had bones in his lower spine removed and that eventually resulted in a lot of chronic pain and and some nerve problems where he had so he had a spinal cord injury you don't see it because he's walking around he was still deployed with it yeah. and that can affect sexual functioning as well even if it's just back pain or back problems like yeah he had drop foot incontinence and ed all from the nerve and pain related things, even though nothing was physical. And so he talks about, he got an implanted um, device for pain attenuation in his spine. And that helped with all the problems with the foot drop, the bladder issues and, and helped him re regain his erectile function. So you, you could see that, you know, the direct sexual issues and ac across those things. And then yeah. we had Sombra who, you know, was a victim of military sexual assault. So she talks about, you know, what what that ramifications of that are in her relationship. So we really cover the Which gamut. is unfortunately pretty common uh, in, in military to have military sexual trauma. Yeah, un unfortunately, both with men and women. You know, we, we talk about women all the time, but it's yeah. really, in gross numbers, there's more men because there's more men in the military. So, yeah, so that's, that's you know, really, and that's something that, when I went out to make the film, I wanted to represent all different types of combat, Experiences. In, combat injuries. Military sexual trauma wasn't in my my list, mm -hmm. um, but you know I came across actually two different people. There's a couple that's not in the in the the 57 minute video, and he had mm -hmm. brain injury as his primary issue, and she had she was deaf and blind, secondary to an assault. Was a sexual assault, but she was hit in the back of the head, and so the, really was a brain injury, which you know resulted in losing her function, and and so that that story unfortunately is not in the because of time considerations in the final cut. Oh yeah, I can't imagine how you decided what to cut and what uh, to keep in. But I do hope <laughs> that's so hard. <laughs> hope, you know, as I gain more traction and, and 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 get a little bit more income, to tell all the stories. So I did originally six couples. An individual, like maybe ten or fifteen minute segments, so we. Yeah, can I could see it being a great Netflix special with one, you know, one person per episode. Um, right. But yeah, I think you touched on a lot of things with spinal cord injuries, um, and that was something I know you were focusing on before as both a personal and professional uh, interest. So, what what is the truth about spinal cord injuries and orgasm and pleasure? Ah, 
Ah, the truth. The truth with a capital T. <laughs> um, yeah, because most of us learn a, a small truth, you know, like what we think is true, but it's a small T. Um, mm-hmm. my, my big truth uh, with a capital T is that, and this is through my research on orgasm and people with spinal cord injuries, is that trust, safety, and connectedness uh, have the ability to transfer, trans, transcend any physical loss to result in pleasure and orgasm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the truth. Uh, the truth is that um, anybody with a spinal cord injury uh, has the capability to experience pleasure and orgasm, even with no feeling if it's even below their neck and no movement. All right, because the ability to experience orgasm is not solely um, relying on genital input. So, mm-hmm. so or even or even physical touch and experience, like you're saying. No, it's, it's I mean, other, in, it's these other intangible concepts of of connection and trust and and other things where you can experience pleasure and or orgasm. Right, um, and you know Beverly Whipple and Gina Ogden did the work on uh, "quote unquote" thinking off. So they actually invited women into the, their laboratory in, in Rutgers University in New Jersey, uh, who were able to experience orgasm without touching themselves, just through fantasy alone. Yeah. And they documented that these are real, true orgasms. And so it's you know we we learn about sex from having sex generally right mm-hmm. and we learn about sex from a, a culture that's focused on genital sex and yeah. so we think if we lose feeling or if we lose the ability to get an erection or to lubricate or whatever uh we think if we lose that ability we've lost our sexuality we're not men or women we're half of a man half of a woman uh we're not lovable and then the- yeah, and then the additional feeling of like, what's the point of having sex if those things are gone? When I did a qualitative research, I said, tell me about your sexuality after your injury. They said, it's not the same, it's not normal. And then tell me about your first sexual experience. It usually was masturbation. And they said, it's not the same, it's not normal. It didn't go anywhere. I, there was no, I had no feeling, or I had some feeling, uh, but it didn't escalate. Right. And so it's pointless. Why bother? So people really come to that conclusion very early on. And it really was years in. So that's why it's called the process of sexual self-discovery, because people go from feeling sexually devastated, like their sex life is over because of lost or diminished sensation, change in function to having negative experiences right and so once again so they have a lived experience if a a partner avoided having sex with them or cheated on them or abandoned them then they're also left let's kind of reifying solidifying your your fantasy that your sex life is over and so sometimes it was 10 or 15 years when someone met a new partner and they had these elements they trusted them they felt safe in that relationship then orgasm happened by surprise, because they didn't have the the markers, they didn't have the the erection, the lubrication, ejaculation that usually that they were used to. Uh, but now they're overcome with an experience of euphoria and pleasure, right? And 
orgasm, and we've measured this as orgasm, um, because of this trust, safety, and feeling of connectedness with the other person. So when we're when we could kind of, I want to say, empty our minds of of what we used to think and open our minds to an experience uh, that you know when we're with somebody or with with ourselves. I mean, uh, truthfully, after all these years, I'm still relying on being with somebody else. You know, I'm I'm not. I don't get these places through through masturbation, self stimulation, or anything like that. Uh, I could get there on the phone with somebody, you know. So it, it doesn't have to be physical presence, but there's some magic about connectedness for me. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of the able-bodied advice is, oh, you know, get to know your body first, you know, masturbate so you can tell your lover what you like. I don't give that advice to people with spinal cord injury who have changes. You know, I do say, you know, if I'm coaching somebody, tell me about your changes. Do you have sensation on the left side of your penis, the right side, the tip, right? And I ask them to, you know, go home and experiment and, you know, put pressure on, pull, touch their scrotum and, and report back to me. But I said, don't expect, you know, this isn't about, you know, getting off or ejaculating. So it's just exploration so that people, you know, are, are oriented to the fact that this may not be the same, uh, but it doesn't mean that their sex life is over. Just tell me what happens and, and we'll work from there. And then, you know, and then I educate people about human sexual response cycles in the plural, you know, and, and tell them about laboratory research with people with spinal cord injuries and show them, you know, through, through, you know, real examples and scientific examples that this is possible so that people don't think I'm just crazy, you know, cause I've, I've last year, I think I probably did about six different talks on, on Tantra, you know, and, um, and, and for some reason, that was a, a, a topic of interest last year. It's something I've been using with my folks for 30 years, you know? Um, well, yeah, because that's incorporating the, the thinking off element, the energetic exchange. The It's, it's uh, what, what it really incorporates also is what also has become a lot more popular in the last years is mindfulness, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. and then also I work with people uh, with sensate focus, what, which is really mindful touch. So sensate focus is a really old technique, you know, you know, developed by masters and Johnson's in probably the sixties, right. Early seventies, whatever. Um, and, and, and that's really about mindful touch. Right. And so, you know, I do, a, a, I don't do them too often, but when I do, I, I call it accessible Tantra mindfulness and the yoga of sex. So I tell people how, you know, there's this thing called Tantra and it's very much like mindfulness. It has the same foundations in the same part of the world. Uh, but that mindfulness, you know, is Tantra medicalized for the 21st century because mindfulness doesn't deal with sex where Tantra has been connected with sexuality, which makes it taboo, which mm. it's never been, you know, taken on by the general medical society, but, but even the VA uses mindfulness and then also yoga, right? So yoga is all the craze and anybody in almost any situation, uh, has access to yoga, you know, online, 
And, you know, from the yoga practice I did, it was always stressed that yoga, first and foremost, is a breathing practice. So it teaches people how to breathe and how to center, right? So if we can take those breath exercises, that centering exercises, the mindfulness, and then I add the proper intention, so you set a pleasure intention, and pay attention, right? So with the appropriate intention and paying attention, right? Using the skills of mindfulness and yoga, those that combination in the context of someone who's open-minded and you know will help lead to orgasmic experiences. Well, I think when a lot of folks think of these uh, intense injuries that you're describing, whether that be chronic pain, spinal cord injuries, uh, loss of limbs, um, anything that's going on, I think a lot of folks, doctors maybe included, might think that sex is not as important a thing to think about. And like, oh, you should be focusing on your injury or you should be focusing on getting, feeling, quote unquote, feeling better, or you should be focusing on these other things. So how do we encourage folks to be open to the idea of finding their pleasure again in a different way when they feel like it's something that isn't even important anymore? Well, I mean, I spent many years, and I still do sometimes, trying to train health professionals, right? Um, but I put more of my focus on going direct to the consumer because mm -hmm. the triple trickle down method from doctor to patient or therapist doesn't necessarily work. And I train somebody in a rehab hospital and they're a champion for a couple of years and they move on and it's gone. Uh, so I encourage people, you know, to connect with other people because I think it's really peer support uh, with other people and you have to hear it from other people and really get to understand that this is, um, this is something possible, something real. Uh, and people, with injuries know this is important. So it's a matter of opening up the conversation and showing them the light, you know? So the medical professionals, you know, unfortunately with all the work, uh, you know, I've done, but when I was at Morehouse School of Medicine, we developed, you know, curriculum that could be shared with medical schools and other allied health professionals all over the country. But it's really hard to make inroads and get more hours in the curriculum for people who are health professionals and, and to do this. I have to say, you know, I've been, an advocate for providing comprehensive sexual health care in the healthcare system, you know, for over, over 30 years. And I have seen tremendous improvements in a lot of, a lot of areas. Um, un unfortunately, it's not all over, but, but, but we're, we're making slow progress. So, but I, I do think that, you know, a film like love after war, you know, when it's more generally available and, and, you know, the good news is I'm working with this group called NIDA. Uh, they've accepted the film. So uh, we're working to get it on PBS across the country uh, for November. And so when oh, it's- Oh, congratulations. That would be great. This will reach, you know, a general population. And I think as much as the film is about injured veterans, it's, it's, it's about sexuality and it's multifaceted areas. And so I think anyone who watches it you know, will come away um, hopeful and inspired about their own sexuality if they're dealing with problems. Yeah. And even if it's not the same issues, I mean, I hate to create a hierarchy of like, well, these are really severe issues and there are other people who don't, you know, it's all subjective. 
but kind of the idea like, okay, well, if these folks are working on it and there's hope given everything that they're working through, then we can, whoever is watching, we can work on our sexuality and improve our pleasure potential no matter what has been going on for us. Like it's, it's possible. Right. So I really think that the, the film will help open up more conversations. You know, I, I was supposed to be on uh, Love, Sex and Goop this, this season, um, you know, cause I'm thinking about that, you know, a show like that, uh, which is like, it's been way up there in the top 10 in, in Netflix, right. Is so many people are asking about, Oh, what's my energetic style, you know? So they're picking up a, a language and, and really looking at alternative ways of expressing and, and being sexual. And, and so that's touching so many people through, through that area, you know? And so the more shows we have that, that demonstrate, you know, real people uh, in situations telling them they're telling their stories, uh, you know, that touches more and more people. Uh, it would have been great to have a wheelchair user on the yeah, show. So unfortunately, I was going to, uh, you know, um, counsel a young couple and, you know, he had spinal cord injury and, and it was actually kind of complex case because when I, I took their histories, you know, she had uh, several sexual traumatic experiences in college, which mm -hmm. she hasn't really dealt with on her own either. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. not as simple when you look at a, a couple and he's got a, a, he's quadriplegia that the problem is all quadriplegia. The problem was as much about the sexual assault and her dealing with that. But anyway, it was one of those losses to COVID, not, not, not the couple oh. or me, but yeah. you know, we were going to get tested before after blah, blah, blah. But it was, it was in the first year of COVID. Oh, I'm sorry. That is so disappointing. I hope that there's more to come out. It was canceled and not rescheduled. Maybe, hopefully, they'll call me again for next season if they get picked up. You know, I noticed people with disabilities missing there. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, we, I had somebody who was on the show on the podcast, and I think they actually did a, a really good job with this. And I would love to see continued diversity for different types of sexual presenting problems. So I hope they, I hope they do that. And just kind of circling back to what you were saying about offering this hope and this, you know, this optimism, I do think, and tell me if you disagree, I think there is a necessary grief process though, that one has to go through when their sexual experience changes. So like, yes, there's this place of life, but it doesn't have to be gone. If you don't, you know, you can access your pleasure. I do think there's a grief process that has to happen probably first to sort of let go of what you thought sex would look like and let go of how you wanted it to be and your expectations and what it used to feel like um, before you can be open to the possibilities for now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I always talk about acknowledging our brokenness because it's, it's real. Uh, I've been challenged by folks in disability studies uh, about being quote unquote medical model versus social model. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, I tell you, I have real medical issues. <laughs> my spinal cord is real. It creates real barriers for me despite my environment, despite social acceptance. So mm -hmm. I could be in the most accepting place in the world. Uh, that ain't going to help my bowel and my bladder and the sexual function. You know, it's, it's not okay. going to make my hands work better. So we can't ignore either. I, I do certainly embrace the social model of, of disability and understand that wholeheartedly and completely but it's it's for me it's not one or the other there are 
medical, individual-based issues, and then there's the social issues. And because, like you said, your film was to kind of promote the other side, before we wrap up, I'd love to hear, um, you know, a, a little snippet or something, whether it's from your life or one of the couples from Love After War or someone you've worked with of... I don't want to say a success story, but like you called it like the winning of the battle. Um, well, I, yeah, I said, what, what they, can that look like? Won the battle. Winning, winning the battle is like continually, yeah. continually doing it. Um, yeah. Continually doing the work. So what's an example of how that can get started and what that can look like after putting in the work? Wow. Um, I'll use. Crystal and Tyler in the movie, the, the guy that happens to have a, a spinal cord injury, you know, so here's a guy who gave up, right? And then, but was into recreation and, you know, was doing hand cycling in the mountains with this person. And finally, you know, they got into a relationship. Uh, and then, boy, you know, he went, you know, uh, outside the VA because they couldn't take him at the time, but he went and explored all the issues he had to do around his erectile function, right? Um, they talked up front about having a family, you know, and before they got into a relationship, you know, she said, you know, I love you and all this stuff. I want to have a family. You know, if you're not on board, then, and he wanted to have a family. They didn't know how they were going to do it. You know, they were open, I guess, to adoption or whatever. But so they went through whatever they needed to to have a family assisted reproductive technology and and did that. And they, you know, wanted to be a little bit more active. So they explored issues around, you know, positioning. Uh, and so they kept, you know, working on on the relationship. And, you know, I think people who volunteer to be in the film embrace sexuality and know it's important and want to share and and they're a couple like that so you know i i think they're a couple that you know is continually uh, working uh on their relationship um and and exploring you know they they learned in the process of being interviewed and, and then watching the film some resources that they didn't think were available they didn't know about so it's funny because we, we did a, a q a recently in november after reviewing and they were like well a lot of the resources i learned about in watching the film so so they're they're continually you know working on it and 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 doing well but uh, you know i'm thankful to all all the couples you know who are who are doing it um the couple i mentioned who aren't in the film anymore they they didn't make it um but you know when we look at the general uh, amount of a separation and divorce it's huge but yeah. when you watch that interview you know he talked about his anger outbursts and his frustrations and how he punched the wall and have to call his you know somebody and talk him down um and so he this this was you know result of of the brain injuries and then he also had vision issues and his partner and now then wife was blind and deaf, so he had to learn how to sign, not just regular sign language, but into her hand. Mm. So, you know, but it was, he, his vision was an issue. So, you know, he got very frustrated around communication issues. Mm -hmm. And he had talked in the interview, you know, about, you know, whether it's worth being in there or not, you know, in the relationship or not. And then she, she talked about, you know, various challenges. And, and so, you know, they had some years together well, but they, they didn't make it, you know? Um, yeah. Very, 
very challenging, more challenging. I'd say some serious, serious challenges more than your able-bodied couple, you know? Um, but I'd hear that in short, like in terms of resources that help put folks on the track to winning the battle ongoing, one would be first an acknowledgement and an openness that this is something that is like important to them that they would like to work on, then getting connected to community and to resources out there, getting connected to doctors and therapists who are trained and knowledgeable in sex and intimacy concerns that will help connect you uh, with the proper folks and and give you creative options uh, right. for what could be workable for you, depending on what's going on with your mind, body, and spirit, um, and watching your film. Yeah. I mean, what Casey said, too, in the film, he's the one with PTSD and then the orthopedic injuries, is that he needed to look into the mirror and, and really, you know, kind of recognize, you know, what was going on. And, and, and that's when he began to see a change. So it's a complex dance, you know. Uh, it takes a lot of what I call about compassionate love, you know, the partner who is on the, like, receiving end of outbursts and, and irrational behavior, right? So you could hear, you know, Tamra, and you could feel it, you know, about, you know, she really loved who he was and he, she knew he was still in there, you know, so she put up with a lot because of her, you know, love before and knowing that these changes were because of and and staying staying in there. And, you know, they came out of it and, and you know, they're just a wonderful, loving couple, too. So they're another uh, great example. Um, they're all great examples, but I'm, I'm just, you know, that's... Yeah. And them. I mean, we have to wrap up, but that sounds like a whole other podcast episode is like finding the balance between compassionate love and knowing what your boundaries are, like when you can't stay in something, or even if you have that compassion and empathy of like, well, I still can't be the one to do this with you because of abuse, trauma, whatever, even if there's good reason for that person's trauma and why it's happening. So I think that's a, to be continued for another episode, Absolutely. but, um, uh, Dr. Mitch, how can folks get in touch? How can people contribute to the film, watch the film, uh, and yeah, check out what you're doing. Great. So right now, uh, they could go to loveafterwar.org, right? Um, there's not an active screening right now. We've been doing, I've done several. I did with uh, the Wounded Warriors Partners in, in, in November, and I did with United Spinal. So as those come up, I will announce them and make the film available as they're, as they're hosted. In November, it will be there. But between now and November, I'm looking for people who want to host the film so they could contact me and, you know, if they have a large following or community. So, you know, over the next few months, so I'll be going out to, you know, Colorado State and doing something. Oh, virtual. maybe we'll have to host one over here. Oh, you're in Colorado now. No, I'm not in Colorado. I'm, I just met in California. Oh, um, yeah. We'll have to we'll have to plan something at a later yeah. date. Yeah, so I'm doing for University of Texas. So I'm beginning to line these up, Association for Rehab Nurses. Uh, so if people want to host a screening, uh, there's a form and they could fill it out to host the screening. And if there's anybody there working for large corporations, I'm looking for just three particular underwriters for the PBS uh, documentary. So those are 15 minute, 15 second slots before and after. So it's 30 seconds of, of TV time that will reach two to three million people. So I'll be focusing on finding a few underwriters in the next couple months and, uh, and doing these 
in-person and virtual private screenings. Uh, and uh, also if someone's interested in educational licensing, I'm working on that too. So it's a, it's a lot as an indie, I'm an independent film producer and director. And so it's pretty much, um, I'm doing everything, uh, you know, and as I you know raise more money through the underwriting, I'll maybe I'll be able to hire a couple of helpers and get this done a little bit more efficiently, but yeah, yeah I'm just work. working and just working it. Well, thank you so much. There. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience. Um, everyone check out loveafterwar.org and, um, again, if you want to follow what I'm doing at the podcast, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and talk to you next week. Thanks.